And it wasn't talking about mountains and rivers. It was you and me and everybody like us. Hallelujah. Let's worship him again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank the Lord. Lord bless you. You may be seated. Praise God. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. In relation to that, uh, the chosen and our small groups and discussions and so on, you might want to, uh, before your small group meets, get on, what is that, newrqpc.info, something like that, under learning and look at the questions that you're going to be discussing and, and thinking about and, and, and talking together about ahead of time so you'd have an idea and uh, Looking forward to, uh, Brother Arash has me all excited about uh, the missionary coming next Sunday. Um, he talks about uh, cannibals and, and all sorts of things. Uh, but he's safe. Don't, don't worry, he's safe because cannibals don't eat comedians. <laughs> they taste funny. <laughs> All right, all right. Praise God. Isn't it good to be able to come to a place where we're free? To live in a world that no matter what's going on around us, we're free. Praise God, praise God, praise God. So I'd like to talk this morning about the next big thing. There's always the next big thing. And uh, we uh, keep thinking about this, looking at it. There are 24-hour news cycles, and, and folks have their radios tuned. They're glued to the television. They're constantly checking the Internet to find out what's the next big thing, what's going on, what's coming up, what's, what, do, what should I be uh, paying attention to. And we find in, in Acts 17.21 in the... New Living Translation, it, it tells us that it should be explained that all the Athenians as well as the foreigners in Athens, so it wasn't just the local folks, but it had gotten out that anybody that got there, they caught the bug, and they all seemed to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas, the next big thing. I looked at, I was looking through some, some things the other day, some places on the internet, and we, we all see the pictures of, of everyone now who has their phones out, and they're, they're, you can go to practically any place, and somebody's got their phone out. No matter what they're supposed to be doing, no matter what's going on around them, they've got their phones out, there's uh, pictures of them on the, uh, on the subway or so on, and they're all sitting there scrolling on their phones. And, and I was looking at that, and they were making some comment about technology is destroying everything. And then I looked at another picture of the subway system, the train or whatever it was, and, and uh, it was pre-cell phone, and all of the commuters had their papers open. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Praise God. And there's always something to get our attention, always something that's coming down the pike, always something that uh, someone is interested in. And I want to start with something that unless you are interested in it, uh, it, it can be a little bit boring, and so I'll, I'll go over this one quickly, but let's look at an initial public offering. 
And uh, uh, this is a matter that has to do with Wall Street. It has to do with the companies that have uh, been in business for a while. They've, they've grown uh, to a particular size where they're needing more capital, where they want to expand. And so they are about to uh, offer stock for purchase to uh, the general public. It's the initial public offering to buy into this company. In, in days gone by when uh, I had a little uh, money that I could invest uh, and I would run across something, there were times that I would ask them, is this a publicly traded company? Can I buy into this particular company? And generally the answer that I would get was, no, we are privately held. Seems like some of the best ones are. Uh, but they will work with a major bank or, or other financial institution and get it all ready. And, and there will be a buzz in the Wall Street Journal. They'll be talking about it in this place and in that place. There will be vice presidents that will tell their customers about what's about to happen. And with many of these things, you have to be in a certain strata of financial society in order to be even able to get in on the purchase. But in that area, it's the next big thing because when they, they get that stock, that first bit of stock, then they can turn around and sell it. And sometimes stock of an initial public offering will double, triple, quadruple in a day. And somebody can invest a, a well, in that kind of realm, $1,000 is nothing. That's pocket change. Uh, but $10,000 or $100,000 in an initial public offering early in the morning and by nightfall, it's worth a half a million dollars. Or you could invest $100,000 and by nightfall, it'd be worth 10000 it's just how interested are other people in this stock. But for a while, it's the next big thing. And for a certain group, it gets their attention. They, they want to focus on it. And of course, for the rest of us, <clears throat> uh, there are other things to think about, like today's disaster, whatever that may be whether it's fire or flood, whether there is some storm or war, an accident, maybe a 23-car pileup on the interstate. That could happen at any time. Or maybe uh, other things. I, I remember when we had a fire that uh, raged. We were in Texas, the and got news, it was on the news that there was a fire in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. It was that big a fire, and it came within two blocks of our church, and, and uh, one of the families that was attending our church lost their business. They had a recycling business, recycled paper and cardboard. Well, you know what a fire could do to that, and it did. Uh, while we were there, we had a, a flood that uh, there's a river that runs right down the middle of Bartlesville, and, and uh, during the flood, the only way you could get from one side of town to the other was by helicopter or boat. And the helicopter was much safer because the vo boat could send you to Tulsa. Uh, <laughs> not voluntarily. <laughs> While we were there, uh, we had a tornado come through. Uh, and I mean, it really came through. Uh, I watched, I, in Oklahoma when, in Texas, when the uh, tornado warning sounds, many people head for the basement, very few basements, but they head for the storm cellar. But most people go out in the front porch or the front yard and look, <laughs> where is it? <laughs> So while the wife and the kids were in the uh, bathroom, in the bathtub, in the small room with uh, lots of strength in the walls, I was out on the front porch. And I was watching as 
a black tornado was coming and then it crossed the river and it turned gray. And then it came on uh, back onto land. It still had a lot of that water in it. And, and I could see the sparks as it would hit the various electric lines. And, and it just uh, it didn't seem to be moving, but it kept getting bigger. And I know what that means. That means it's headed towards you. And uh, the thing is, I had been working on the church uh, when the, uh, we were building a church at the time. And, and when the alarm went off, when the siren sounded, I, I got out. Try, that's the busiest street. Now, not normally, but when the alarm goes off, it was very, very busy. And I went the uh, roughly half a mile to the house, and, and there I was standing out on the porch watching the tornado that was coming, and, and uh, then went back into the house and joined the rest of the family. But the thing was that that tornado came right through our neighborhood, three houses down, it took a roof off, it came in that half-mile area between the house and the church. It took three shingles off the church, three shingles off of our house. That was it for us. But it was news for a long, long time in our town as we tried to put things back together. It was, it was the last big thing that had come through. But for a while, it was the biggest for many, many years, war, uh, well, war is almost always the next big thing. We're facing the fact that there is a war going on, and we are facing the fact that there is a possibility, always the possibility, of it expanding. But for my generation, the next big thing, or the current big thing, was the Vietnam War. I like to... Uh, tell the story, you know, a story is what it is, but it can be changed a little bit by the way you tell it. Uh, and uh, during that time, the Lord had, had called me to uh, preach, and so I had uh, changed my major for college. I was between colleges. I was between uh, enrollments. And so uh, for young men in that day, it, you didn't have a college deferment. You were not 2S in the social, uh, selective service system. That meant that you were about to be called up to go to Vietnam. It was before they had the lottery and, and all of those things. And so I was caught in that uh, particular time and uh, made the bus trip out to Fort Bliss in, in uh, El Paso. Uh, went through all of the various uh, physical things that they do to try to get you ready for the, to see if they want you in the war. And after I had gone through all of it, they called me to stand in front of the desk of the young man. Uh, I didn't know he was young then, but now I know he was very, very young uh, because I was younger than he was. But uh, he, I stood before his desk and my information was all scattered out there on the desk before him and there I am standing in my underwear and he's looking at the papers and looking up at me and looking down at the papers and looking back up he did this about four times something like that and I could I could see they uh, I've had my glasses back at that point and and uh, I could look down at the desk and I could see what he was looking at. And there was my report and there were red circles all over it. <laughs> I was, in fact, he told me, he said, young man, you are a physical wreck. <laughs> and I didn't move, but inside I said, Yes. I had bad eyes. Now I've had surgery and uh, uh, use reading glasses now, but when I got my driver's license at the age of 14, you could do that in Texas then. And at, so at 13 and a half, I took my written test and my vision test and then started doing the practice driving. And uh, the highway patrol trooper who 
gave me the test when he saw my report and he understood everything about it. He said, young man, never drive without your glasses. I said, don't worry. Without my glasses, I can't find my car. I had what they call giant chronic or chronic giant urticaria. That means I had an allergy. And I would I would turn red and itch from the sole of my foot to the top of my head. My lip, my upper lip would swell out with the, even with the end of my nose and that's no small journey. So Vietnam probably was not the place for me because I was allergic to all kinds of grasses except St. Augustine. I was allergic to all uh, flowers, any kind of flowers. I could not eat any, any grain except rice. Do you know how many ways there are to fix rice? Not enough. Not enough. And so I've, I've got to... Uh, I had an ulcerous condition, so there's the ulcers or spastic stomach or whatever it is. Uh, I had this uh, chronic allergy of all sorts of things, uh, molds. I was allergic to all molds. Uh, I had terrible vision. If, if they, I lost my glasses, uh, the war was over for me. And uh, besides that, you may not realize it now, but I was, I was six foot one, fully clothed. I weighed 135 pounds. That is 10 pounds under the minimum wage for being in the military. They wouldn't take me. Now, that last one I did get fixed. <laughs> war. 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 That big thing, in my day, it filled the streets. Not just one street. From coast to coast, it filled the streets. You may have seen pictures, or some of you may have been in the streets. It was the next, it was the big thing then. Of course, even the biggest things like that are over. We rebuild the cities. We drain, uh, the, the water of the flood drains away. The fire, a new building goes up. Disasters, they're always coming. When the freeway is clogged with wrecks, after a while, the last tow truck leaves, and the traffic flows again. There's political scandal. We're coming up on an election year, as usual, and there are always political scandals, and that's the next big thing. What's it going to be? I've got some pictures up here. Uh, you may remember some of them, some of them you won't, obviously, because they happened in the 1860s. Uh, the impeachment of President Johnson, not Lyndon, but Andrew, in 1865 or 66. Political scandals, such as under Ronald Reagan, the Iran-Contra, with uh, Colonel Oliver North and the hearings, scandals of one kind or another. Hoover, <laughs> uh, that's another generation with the Great Depression, but it was the big thing then. I remember my folks talking about them. My, my dad was born in 1916. The, uh, the, uh, Depression started about, well, actually kicked off with the stock market crash of 1929 and in 
no later than 16 years of age. If you figure out 1916 and 16 years of age, that's 1932. He left home right in the middle of the Depression, a young man setting out trying to make his way. Uh, my daughter and I have talked about this. She's, she's the expert in these areas, and she doesn't know what kind of condition could actually cause it, but my dad has talked about being so hungry that every tooth in his head was loose. I've heard my mother talk about the times that they nearly starved to death because my grandfather died on that side of the family, died in 1935. He had everything fixed. He had everything all set. There, there was, he told them that they would be well taken care of. Everything was in place. But you see, my grandmother, in those, in those days, the women were not involved in the business, and he took care of everything. And when he died... No one stepped forward to say, your, your husband has appointed me. He left things in my care. No one showed up. And they became charity cases for the rest of the family. I remember my mother talking about being a waitress in, in the uh, cafe that her uh, aunt and uncle ran Political scandal, if nothing else, of the Great Depression. I'm not going to go into great detail about all the scandals with Donald Trump. That's too close to the, not the next big thing. That's still kind of a big thing with a lot of folks. I, I, I had a friend years ago who took a small church and built a, a, a large, a much larger building. And I heard him say it repeatedly. He said, I don't know which time when we ran out of money was the worst. So I don't know which one of the impeachments was the worst. But I've got some up here, the Nixon resignation. I am not a crook. Well, that wasn't the point. <laughs> and then we are facing right now in the uh, realm. No, oh, that's, that's a little later. Uh, I've got the picture there of the uh, Trail of Tears, the Indian removal from this side of the Mississippi to the other side something that was initiated by President Andrew Jackson and carried out in the administration of uh, Martin Van Buren. There was a time when that was the next big thing. And if you go to some places in, north, in, in eastern Oklahoma, that's still a big thing. And Teapot Dome. Oh, we're back to the administration of Warren G. Harding and a... A, a, an oil deal that was rotten from top to bottom and uh, shook his administration. It would have been worse. It would have been much worse, but uh, Harding died, and Calvin Coolidge, silent Cal, uh, took over and uh, righted the, uh, the political world around him. Then there's economic turmoil. Brother Moss, when are you going to get to what you're saying? I'm saying it right now. <laughs> Economic turmoil of, of, of all kinds of, of situations. We, we have bank runs. Now, not yet, again. But it could very easily happen that folks would lose confidence in our economic system. They've done it before. And everybody try to get their money out of the bank. Now, whether you understand it or not, there is not enough printed cash to give everybody all of their holdings in the bank. Your money is ones and zeros in the computer somewhere. And the folks that are saying don't get into Bitcoin because there's nothing backing it, need to restudy what we're using for our United States money right now because it's ones and zeros for the most part. 
And how valuable is that piece of paper? You know, they say that a government is the only entity in the world that can take paper and make it worth less by printing on it. Especially money. And so it, your, your dollar shrinks. I've talked about inflation before. I've, I've talked about uh, uh, Venezuela, that there was, a plug, there was a time in Venezuela where something that cost you $100 at noon today will cost you $200 at noon tomorrow. Well, it'll actually be a little more than $200 tomorrow. Don't put your faith in your money. Because the next big thing could be that your money's not big anymore. Economic turmoil, the shrinking dollar, the, the world currency, we're, we're not even sure that the American dollar is going to be the world currency anymore. Now you, you, you find your foreign currency and you, you pay for it, you get it by dollars. But it could be. That one of these days, if you want to buy dollars, you use a, a yen or whatever else. That uh, I don't think the mark would work because Germany's in a bit of a bind uh, at times too. And then the last one here of the stock market instability. If you've got money in the stock market, you've done real well and not so good. Just depends on which day we're talking about. In fact, it could matter about which part of the day we're talking about. And then fads, the fads are fads, fads, all kinds of fads. Now, normally when we think of fads, we think of fashion fads. Remember the sack dress, anybody? Are you old enough to do that? Uh, the mini skirt, the maxi skirt, uh, all, all of that, you know. Uh, the big flowery materials for the dresses and, and uh, uh, all sorts of fads come and fads go. And, and it, it, I guess it keeps the wheels of the economy going by, well, I've got to buy something new to, to keep up with what's going on. And I save a lot of money by not even trying to keep up with what's going on. Well, I would say I save a lot of money, but I don't have a lot to save. So anyhow, but... But there's always something pushing. There's always something new. There's always something to hear and to tell. We're like Athens. We are in a worldwide Athens, wanting to know and to hear and to tell and to share and to talk about and to read about. And, and the, we've got what... It, at the moment seems to be the ultimate instrument to find out everything, everywhere. Of course, you know, these are a bit of a fad too. I went over 60 years and never had one of these things. But Isaiah, way back before this, back before the printing presses, back before the internal combustion engine, back before Leonardo da Vinci envisioned a helicopter, didn't make one, just envisioned one, way back before Julius Caesar was assassinated, before Alexander the Great conquered a major portion of the known world. Isaiah said in the 30th chapter of his writings, talking about a teacher, and he said, your ears will hear a word behind you. Not the next big thing out front. Not what's going on around us right now, but behind you from an antiquity, from a time previous to this, saying, this is the way. Walk in it. 
It'll direct you left. It'll direct you right. It'll direct you straight. It'll direct you where you need to go because there is a way. And though there are lots of situations and lots of occurrences and lots of fads that can be described as the next big thing, I want to take these last few minutes and talk about the only big thing. It's more important than fire, and flood, political turmoil, revolution, war, economics, scandals. This is the only big thing, and that is being right with God. I'm here this morning to tell you that if you become a multi-jillionaire and you miss heaven, you're poor. If you are well known all over the world and people in every nation know your name, recognize your picture, Think well of you, and your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. You've missed it. There's only the big thing. I've talked this morning of the, of the impeachment of Andrew Johnson. That doesn't mean a thing to any of you. As important as it was, as riveting as it was to his day it's not important but there's a voice behind me saying this is the way and you need to walk in it this is more important than all of history this is more important than all of the things that have grabbed people's attention and held them for centuries on end all of the succeeding things that have come the march of time and events this is the thing that is the big thing and that's being right with God amen I, I don't care how, how smart you are, how good looking you are. And by the way, that's going to change. Time and gravity always win. How smart you are. Listen, whatever you've learned, it's not going to be long before something else has come along you haven't learned yet. One time I had a doctor in the church. I may have told you this. Uh, don't always remember what I've told. I can tell, I can remember what I tell, but I can't remember who I told it to. And that's not just a recent thing. You do the same. But uh, I had a doctor in, in the church there in Bartlesville for a while. And discussing with him, he said the half-life. Now, if I hope you geared in enough with atomic energy to understand half-life, that in a certain length of time, half of the radiation of an element will have disappeared. And then in that, you go that same time and half of what was left has disappeared. So now you got a quarter of what you started with and then an eighth, but it's all in the same time. That's a half-life. He said the half-life of medical knowledge is three years. You could go for four years to medical school, take a test the day you entered. Four years later, take the same test, and if you put down the same answers, probably half of them are going to be wrong. It's advanced that far, that fast. But this is something that doesn't change. God's word is forever settled in heaven. One of my programs that I like to listen to on the radio 
you're going to really, it's Kim Commando. Now, if you don't know who Kim Commando is, she's on Radio 1450, uh, W-I-L-M, on Saturday mornings, 10 o'clock till 1 o'clock. It is a computer or a technology show. And she has all this information. And a third of it, I have no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> and about a third of it, I got a, I've got a, a glimmering of what she's talking about. I understand, but I don't know how to do it. And there's about a third of it that's commercials. <laughs> but I understand this. that is deep and as powerful and as magnificent as God's plan of salvation is, it's not hard to understand. And we need to walk in it. We need to get in it. We need to stay in it. We need to cooperate with it. We need to live it. We need to breathe it. We need to be it. I didn't say we need necessarily to do it because you can do a lot of things that you're not part of. Uh, I'm going to play a little word game here, a little word trick that Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5 all about the be attitudes, not the do attitudes. He wanted us to be. I'm going to walk through it. You say, well, Brother Moss, I've heard this before. Well, you're about to hear it again. Because it hasn't changed. We're not going to go to the next big thing. This is the only big thing. This is what will make a difference in time and eternity. This is what will cause us to be what he wants us to be. Now, I'm going to start in a little different place than we used to sometimes start, but it was already there in Acts chapter 2 as well, and that's faith. You see, it, it, Peter didn't necessarily mention that specifically in, in the 38th, chapter, or 38th verse of that chapter. No, but it's mentioned before that when the crowd said, what shall we do? They believed what he said. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus was crucified for your salvation. They believed that. They trusted in that. They understood that if they would walk with, uh, get in gear with what Jesus had done, it would make a difference in their lives. They believed him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But if we'll believe, if we'll trust him, if we'll walk, take what he says, that's our start. And then there's repentance. Godly repentance. Repentance that I'm not, it's not I'm sorry I got caught. I did years worth of jail ministry. And I, I found a lot of guys that were sorry. We're under several definitions. Most of them were sorry they got caught. But occasionally I'd run into one that is sorry for what he had done. Oh, God. I mentioned someone the other day. How God changed my life. And when I first ran into you folks, I didn't even realize I needed any change. Some people walk out and they get away from us. They don't want it because something's beginning to, to stir in them. They realize they need to make a change and they think we're condemning them. No, we're not condemning them. That's the spirit of the Lord dealing with them, trying to draw them if they just understand what's happening. That, that heaviness you feel, that, that sorrow you feel for, for the things that you've done wrong and many times you don't even understand what was wrong about it. 
I remember one young man back in the 70s. I, I talked to him about something he was doing. He said, well, Brother Moss, I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know it was that wrong. If it's wrong, it's wrong. It's, it's, it's not, <laughs> there's no gradient, you know. <laughs> full, full wrong, empty, no, 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 no. And lies don't come in colors. Little white one, uh-huh. We've got to repent. And repent just means when you get right down to it, it means turning around and going in a different direction. I don't want my life to be like the airline pilot that came on. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We've lost contact with ground control. I don't, well, I've got some bad news here. I don't know where we are. But I've also got some good news. This plane is flying faster than it ever has before. There are lots of folks going faster than they ever have before, but they have no idea where they're going. We need to find out where we are, where we need to go and turn around and get in that direction. Oh, God, forgive me for what I've done wrong. Help me to straighten up. Help me to turn around. Help me to be what you want me to be. And I'm going to add a little something in here. Really, I'm not adding it. I'm just telling you that it's there. There's a part of repentance that involves restitution, if possible. If you've done somebody wrong, go straighten it up. I hear Texas coming out. <laughs> go straighten up. If you can, make it right. When I first went to the altar, I, I'm pretty sure I haven't told most of you this one. When I went to the altar the first time, I hit the altar saying, Lord, I'll tell them, Lord, I'll tell them, Lord, I'll tell them. And while I was praying, the Lord or something, I'm going to say it was the Lord brought back to my memory that a few weeks before I had been in Odessa shopping in a, in a store, and this is going to sound like a very paltry thing, but you remember back in 1963, we still had silver in our coinage. One, the thin dime I'm fixing to tell you about had more intrinsic value than a whole pile of today's coins, a whole handful. But he brought back that I had bought something and the clerk had given me a dime too much change. Oh, Brother Moss, don't even worry about that. That's, that's not worth for me. Yeah. But I knew nobody had talked to me about restitution. But in the spirit, he had communicated to me, you got 10 cents more than you're supposed to have. Stamps were three cents. An envelope and, and a letter to write, paper to write a letter on, that probably ran it up another penny. I'm spending 14 cents to get that dime back to Woolworth. I got a dime, I put it in the envelope, I wrote a letter of apology, explained what had happened, didn't sign my name. I wasn't at repentance yet. That took us later. <laughs> Sealed that envelope, put that stamp on it, and here it went. Why? I wanted to be right with God. How much did this cost you? It cost me 10 cents. But it wasn't my 10 cents to start with. You need to repent. You say, that was small. I need to repent of everything. Everything. Get it out of my life. 
There have been folks that uh, through the years, oh, you're, you're so hard, you're so harsh, you're so straight-laced. I want to be right. I want to have a good spirit toward everybody. I want to be loving and, and forgiving and helpful and, and non-condemning of others, but I want me to be hit strong and straight and get it right because I want to be there. Faith, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name. Sister Joyce and I were talking this morning. We talking about a book that we're reading. We're baptized in Jesus' name. That's, that's part of this. It's not only a new birth process, it's the adoption process. And that adoption process, now, you know, we, today we adopt somebody and that's, you know, go to court and lawyer, judge pronounces and, uh, you know, all, the, all that. And they inherit. But in that culture, when you adopted someone, that was a powerful thing. You see, you could disinherit your natural born children. But if you adopted somebody, you couldn't get rid of them. Caesars adopted somebody to succeed them as Caesar. That's how, that's how powerful this is. That's what that, how that was sometimes used. We become the sons and daughters of God, not only by a new birth, but by adoption. And we take on the family name. You say, oh, what, uh, what name you're baptized in, it doesn't matter much. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Jesus' name. It's no big deal. It is a big deal. It's an adoption deal. You're taking on the family name. You're getting to be a joint heir with Christ. Baptism in Jesus' name is an essential part of this. You say, I'm adopted in this day, and you haven't been before the judge. You're not adopted. You haven't taken the steps. You haven't done what's necessary. How much more so in the courts of heaven? There's a process set up. And in receiving the Holy Ghost, oh, this is the beautiful part of it. Oh, the beauty of it. That the God of eternity, he who inhabits eternity, who is so so huge, so great, so large that heaven and earth cannot contain him. He's inside of this universe, but he's also outside this universe. He's everywhere. He's even places there aren't where. That God Ask Solomon, where is the house you're going to build for me? You make me a doll house and expect me to live in it? Could you live in a doll house? We'd have a whole lot more area for us in a doll house than God who is everywhere and every place where there's not a where living in a temple and all of him being there. But that God, that omnipresent, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere, God made a way. Don't ask me to explain it. I've been pretty sharp, but I'm not that sharp. He made a way that he could dwell in a body like this one, only probably a lot smaller. That God made a way that all of the fullness compacted there. I've talked about money. I've talked about silver. And, uh, silver and gold is, is the standard for store value, a medium of exchange among us. Anybody turn down 
a couple of pounds of gold? I didn't think so. But in the spiritual realm, gold doesn't count. They pave the streets with it. Put in the asphalt machine. But in the spiritual realm, blood is the medium exchange of exchange. It's the, it's the store of value. Not just any blood. Has to be, by certain specifications, clean, pure blood. The blood of a spotless lamb. The blood of uh, a, a, a red heifer that has no white hair on it anywhere. Specific blood, particular blood. And God as a spirit has no blood. But he came into a body and made a way that he could have blood. Pure blood, clean blood, spotless blood to shed to pay the price for you and for me. And here's the, here's the real beautiful part of this, that that God who inhabits everywhere and some more places, who made himself where he could dwell in a single human, all the fullness there, now... He's made it available. You, and you, and you, and you can have that same spirit. Not by quantity, but by quality. That same spirit inside you. That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's God in you, living in you, the hope of glory. And somebody says, do I have to speak in tongues? I'm, I'm not fussing at you this morning. That's a common question. I've heard that question for, over 60, or for around 60 years. Do I have to speak in tongues? Forget the tongues. How many Pentecostal preachers you heard say, say something like that? Forget the tongues. We're not seeking tongues. We're seeking the Holy Ghost. And if you'll open up, if you'll believe him, if you'll obey him, if you'll worship him, if you will just give yourself to him, he'll fill you with the Holy Ghost and tongues will come automatically. It's not something we have to worry about. It's just there. The thing we're interested in is not speaking in tongues. The thing we're interested in is receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And if you get God's power in you, you will speak in tongues. Hallelujah. As the Spirit gives utterance, let get that Spirit in you and it's automatic. Praise God. Somebody said, well, I haven't spoken in tongues. I'm not worried about that. But that tells me you haven't got the Holy Ghost yet. Not like it came on the day of Pentecost. Praise God. Oh, but this voice said, this is the way. Walk in it. Because you see, contrary to what we so often get the idea of, well, if I'll just believe in Jesus, that's good enough. No, that's not good enough. You got to do it, but that's not, that's, that's the starting gate, not the finish line. Well, if I can be, if I can go to the altar and cry a while, you know, you never heard me say, come to the altar and cry while I said, come repent. And you can do that on a lawn, riding lawnmower. You can do that on a speeding train or a, 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 an airplane. City bus. Well, most why are you mentioning those places? Because I know of people that have done that. 
They've repented in, in places that weren't in a church service. You need to repent. Oh, it feels so much better. But that's not the end of it either. Then you need the Holy Ghost. You get the Holy Ghost. Now, you talk about feeling good. You got to be baptized. You talk. I, 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 I was surprised there was enough water left in the baptistry to baptize anybody after I got baptized. But that's not all. We've got to walk in this as a thing called holiness. Righteousness. Walking with him. There's holiness inside. And if it's not outside, it's really not inside either. I just said that, didn't I? Holiness is a continuum. It's not just, oh, I'm so holy inside. Notify your outside. There used to be a saying, if you're happy and you know it, tell your face. Let me tell you something about the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost within you does not go on vacation. You can go on vacation, but your Holy Ghost better not go on vacation. Your holiness better not go on vacation. I love God. I'm, 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 I'm walking in his ways, but I'm down at the Orlando now. It was not hard to tell who was at the convention and who wasn't. I was talking to Sister Leela about, about it. There were two or three conventions going on in that same area. And I noticed, oh, I got a hush. But I, there were guys wearing white uniform shirts. And I, I know what that means. That means these are the leaders. With, they could, in fact, in lots of different disciplines, they call them the white shirts. If you got to the place where you were a white shirt in the fire department, you were chief or assistant chief or brigade commander or battalion commander, pardon me. And so it was the white shirts. Well, I saw a bunch of these guys in white shirts walking around there. So I stopped on the way out, and I, I asked one of them, what, what is your organization? What are you doing? He told me, and it, it fit right in with that, that, uh, that group of, of volunteers or, or servants, public servants. And I looked at that, and I had been thinking as I was waiting for it to get time for us to go catch the... Uber to get to the airport, as I'd watched as our people were, were getting ready to leave. Conference is over. It's the next morning. They've packed up. They're ready to scatter in all directions. Some of them going to different places in different countries in the world. And I'd watch as the, the elevator doors would open and people would come out and with their luggage and go this way and go that way and other people would get out and, and I'd see them as well and they weren't of us and, and I in just a little bit it hit me we're in uniform now if you work for McDonald's you better not show up in a Burger King uniform agreed If I'm living for Jesus, I better not show up in a worldly uniform. We're in uniform. This is not just a clothesline message because the preacher says it and he requires it. I'm talking about the word says we need to walk in holiness. Now, I'm not going to give you a checklist of what holiness is, but we need to be holy. We need to be holy in church. We need to be holy on the job. 
we need to be holy in Walmart. We need to be holy on vacation. We need to be holy wherever we are. Inside and outside. I am not excused from living for God and walking in his way because of my geographic location. Now, I know some of you didn't expect me to go here. But part of walking with him, we've got to believe, faith, trust, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name. Take the family name. Holy Ghost, tongues is automatic. I'm not worried about that. And then walking in holiness with him. Oh, Brother Moss, I don't know what holiness means. Get in the book. It'll tell you. Praise God. Praise God. Is the Lord speaking to your heart today? Has he, has he stirred up something in you? I'm not talking about the next big thing. I'm not talking about, uh, oh, I've, I've, I've mentioned political and I've mentioned economic and I've mentioned this and that and the other and wandered all over 40 acres. But there's only one big thing. This is the only big thing is that you be right with God. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm not trying to say that you... <laughs> that I don't love you, that, that uh, I won't accept you. Folks, if there's a place where you can be accepted and not be right, this is it. But we don't want you to stay not right. We want you, and we're not asking you to get right with, according to us, we're right asking you to get right with God. I ask you this morning or this afternoon, do you really believe it or is it just a head nod? Have you repented? And if you haven't, there's a place and a time here to repent. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sin, we can fix that up in a hurry. God will fill you with his spirit. All you got to do is just open up to him. Open up, worship him. And we're not even going to worry about the tongues because that's, if you get the Holy Ghost, he'll take care of the rest of it. And then commit yourself. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. Sometimes it takes us a while, like an automobile, to get up to speed. But he understands getting up to speed. He understands our are taking a while sometime to, to realize what's going on and what I, I was years getting rid of some things. If I showed you some early pictures, oh my. But he's willing to work with you. And as we stand this morning or this evening, doesn't matter what time of day, just just Turn your heart to God. Of course, there's always that, that opportunity that if we get a little sideways somehow, we can always come and repent again. But right now I'm talking about that, that initial type experience. I'm just pretty sure that we've got some folks here this morning or this evening that haven't got everything that I've talked about today we're not against you we're for you we're on your side we want to help you we want to pray with you we want to teach you we want to we want to be part of your family because you've become part of ours you're taking the family name and the family characteristics This altar would be open or if you want to stay right where you are and pray. You can repent anywhere. You can receive the Holy Ghost anywhere. But you need it because this is the only big thing.
because he first loved me. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, that's why I preach like that. to dismiss this particular service but I don't want to dismiss you from the presence of the Lord if the Lord's spoken to you about any of these things today I want you to take it with you I want you to take your altar with you take it home take it to the restaurant if it lasts that long and you haven't done something really big about it take it to the job tomorrow because this is a big thing especially if you don't have it it should be the next big thing God bless you you're dismissed in Jesus name